Jason Whitlock. Ow! Yeah, that's how I got to tell you. Listen here, man. Thank you for joining in. Let me give you an update on what you missed this week with Jason Whitlock. On Monday's show, in case you haven't seen it, go to Netflix. Watch this Colin Kaepernick thing. He did a little miniseries called Colin in Black and White. He really kind of set off the ire of a few people. Take a listen to this and see what you think. For Halloween, Netflix and Ava DuVernay dressed up former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick as a righteous black man. The streaming service and celebrated movie producer borrowed T'Challa's Black Panther costume, Huey P. Newton's afro, and the ramblings of in living color prison revolutionary Oswald Bates to portray Kaepernick as the modern day Muhammad Ali. Despite their best efforts and three hours of edited content, Kaepernick still came across as far more Clayton Bigsby than black revolutionary in the six part miniseries, Colin in Black and White. You remember Bigsby. He was the Dave Chappelle character, the blind black man who joined the Ku Klux Klan. Only a member of the KKK could fully enjoy DuVernay and Kaepernick's portrayal of black manhood. According to the miniseries, being a black man is about wearing braids and or cornrows, eating highly seasoned fried foods, feeling degraded, dehumanized, and offended at so-called microaggressions, and fantasizing about loving black women while dating white and or biracial women. Black and white erase any doubts about the fraudulence and substance deficiency of Colin Kaepernick, the biracial football player turned activist. Cap, DuVernay, and Netflix share the same view of black men as the KKK. Let me unpack that thought for a moment. According to black and white, black men have, fem have been feminized to the point that we obsess about our hairstyle. Episode one of the miniseries is titled Cornrows. In it, DuVernay and Kaepernick venerate former NBA star Allen Iverson and his hairstyle. Cap states that Iverson embraced his culture. He braided his hair. Watch this clip. He experienced more political policing than passionate praise. Why? Why did this exceptional player with an uncanny combination of grace and grit cause such ire from the powers that were? Well, what he did to start this controversy was simple, deliberate, and true to himself. He embraced his culture. He braided his hair. Oh my God, I, I, I so remember when Allen Iverson embraced his culture and braided his hair. That was such a powerful moment. I mean, because black men have been braiding their hair since when? Uh, Jesus Christ was on the cross? Was, was he the first to braid his hair? I mean, what new hairstyle will Kaepernick next say is black culture and is black culture, is being a black man really about your hairstyle? This is a joke and only an idiot would look at a man braid his hair. Oh boy, now that's black. He braided his hair, he's got cornrows. 
Nothing could be blacker than cornrows. The episode focuses on Kaepernick's white adoptive parents' mixed feelings about cornrows. His mother goes from paying for his hair to be braided and purchasing the multitude of maintenance accessories to complaining that the hairstyle made her son look like a thug. Cap's father justifiably wonders why any man would waste time, energy, and thought on a hairstyle when that time, energy, and thought could be used on much higher priorities. Many black parents have the exact same thoughts and concerns, and they express those concerns in the exact same fashion. The Kaepernicks were not being racist. They were being pragmatic. Today, cornrows, braids, buns, dreadlocks, and exotic hair colors don't convey a thug image as much as they convey, convey daddy issues. They're byproducts of young boys who spent more time waiting on their mama at a beauty salon than sitting with their daddy inside a barber shop. The Kaepernick miniseries should be retitled Daddy Issues. It was an exploration of the problems caused by the absence of Kaepernick's black biological father. Colin Kaepernick dropped to his knees because he really wants to swing from a stripper pole. That's the real takeaway from Black and White. It's a story about a man struggling with his identity who chose a woman to tell his story. It's what the autobiography of Malcolm X would read like if Alexandria Haley wrote it. There were twice as many black, gay, lesbian couples depicted in the series than black nuclear couples. No black father or husband was written into the script. A couple of black boys, a group of black boys, showed up at a hotel for a baseball tournament. Wasn't a daddy in sight. Maybe those scenes were left on the cutting room floor to make room for the fried chicken and pork chops DuVernay depicted. Every time Kaepernick showed up at a black household, the place was swimming in Lowry's seasoned salt, Crisco, and collard greens. The series insinuated that Kaepernick instantly felt more comfortable in surroundings that produce high blood pressure, diabetes, and heart disease. It's a natural instinct, not a remnant of slavery, for black men to prefer food that kills. It's an odd message for an athlete who is a vegan and obsesses over his abs and biceps. Kaepernick, to this day, doesn't know who he is. He has severe daddy issues. When you know who you are, you don't concern yourself with microaggressions. Check out this clip. I think it was in episode three or four. Microaggressions a term coined by black psychiatrist Chester M. Pierce, who played football at Harvard, by the way. It refers to those small behavioral indignities, intentional or not, that communicate derogatory racial insults that leave us feeling degraded, dehumanized, and offended. Degraded, dehumanized, and offended because a random white person said something that could be misconstrued or slightly offensive.
Kaepernick feels degraded, dehumanized, and offended. And, and what was the, the white woman bringing the vodka and orange juice or whatever the hell that was to Kaepernick, the screwdriver, whatever, what was that? I mean, this thing felt like a comedy. In living color couldn't put together something as hysterical as DuVernay and Kaepernick did together with this miniseries. It was filled with a bunch of bad jokes. But I wanna, the random misguided perceptions of white people don't make you or shouldn't make you feel degraded, dehumanized, and offended. They should make you feel confident you're dealing with someone not on your level. Kaepernick is weak though. That's why any random white person can make him feel insecure. Beyond weak, he's delusional. In the fifth episode of the series, Kaepernick casts himself as Malcolm X in pursuit of his Betty Shabazz. He takes a super dark-skinned black girl to the homecoming dance. He portrays his parents as having a problem with his decision. Now, I do not know the Kaepernicks, but I've lived 54 years and I've seen a lot. I've never met a white person who has a problem with a black or biracial man or boy dating a black woman. Never seen it, never heard of it. There's no way in my opinion they objected to this woman because of her race. What I found hysterical is Kaepernick portraying himself as a lover of dark chocolate. His longtime girlfriend slash handler, Nessa, is Egyptian. She's not black. Her specialty isn't fried chicken and collard greens. She's a Kardashian. Before Nessa, Cap was linked to Bundle of Britney or Britney Renner, the African American Instagram Barbie doll who has been auctioning herself off to athletes the last decade. Cap has a type and it looks nothing like the black girl in his miniseries. Cap prefers Becky Shabazz over Betty Shabazz. Cap is a fraud and not a very smart one. The depictions of racism in black and white were comically unsophisticated and unbelievable. Kaepernick's dad allegedly sped down the highway day after day and waved at a cop who clocked him speeding. The day Kaepernick drove his parents' car, the cop instantly pulled him over and nearly drew his weapon when Kaepernick reached for his driver's license. The, the mom said, oh boy, you really, you really dodged a bullet there, didn't you, Colin? The worst thing about the series is knowing Kaepernick signed off on the demonization and ridicule of his adoptive parents. Two human beings chose to love and raise Kaepernick when his biological parents failed to take on that responsibility. Throughout the six episodes, Kaepernick's parents are portrayed as bumbling, passive-aggressive racists with good intentions. Kaepernick opened the final episode of the series stating that his parents really wanted to adopt a white baby. He said, quote, 
Since the day I was born, I was never anybody's first choice. Kaepernick is still dealing with major daddy issues. Someone buy the man a stripper pole, a thong, and high heels. He's more Cardi B than Huey P. On Tuesday's show, we're gonna discuss Juan Williams' article, article that he wrote for The Hill about parental rights being cold talk for white supremacy. Are you serious, man? Do you really think people are still falling for that crap? Look here, man. That's like me thinking that it's racist because a white woman asked me if I can help her get in her car because her doors, is, her keys are locked in the car. It's just my duty to help her. I broke her window. That's what I did. I want to start today uh, talking about what's going on in the state of Virginia and, and, and how what Juan Williams said, the political pundit, you guys know Juan Williams, he works for Fox News, he's been a, he used to write for the Washington Post, he's been on cable news networks forever. Uh, Juan Williams wrote a column for The Hill that was titled, uh, Juan Williams, colon, parents' rights is code for white race politics. And so he writes this piece, and I want to read the opening excerpt. He analogizes what's going on in Virginia today and the uh, race between, I think it's Glenn Youngkin and, and Terry McAuliffe. Uh, Youngkin is the uh, Republican upcomer, and McAuliffe is the Democrat incumbent, I believe. And Juan Williams uh, analogizes this to the 2017 thing in Charleston, <laughs> I'll just read it there. After white supremacists spilled blood in defense of keeping up Confederate statues in 2017, the GOP candidate for governor of Virginia, Ed Gillespie, said the monument should stay up as a matter of heritage and history. His TV advertising featured threatening images of Latino gangs labeled illegal immigrants involved in murder and rape the racially loaded culture wars campaign straight from then President Trump's playbook gave Gillespie a push, but ultimately he lost the race to Democrat Ralph Northam. Uh, now Virginia Republicans are back with a new improved culture wars campaign for 2021. The closing argument is once again full of racial division, but this time it is dressed up as a defense of little children. The rallying cry is parents' rights. It's a campaign to stop classroom discussion of Black Lives Matter's protest or slavery because it could upset some children, especially white children, who might feel guilt. And this time, the Trump imitating Republicans think they have struck political gold. So what we've been witnessing over the past few months as parents get involved with school boards and push back against this push of critical race theory into school systems is being framed as parental rights because parents do have the right to say what their kids are taught in school. Parents are the final arbiters. They have the responsibility of educating, raising, discipling their kids. 
The public school system, it, they're not. They don't have final say-so. The government does not have final say-so. Parents do. Juan Williams is arguing that parents' rights is code word for white people's rights. That, that's basically what he's saying. And what he's really saying is that white people are the only people concerned with parenting their kids. Everybody else hands their kids off to the government and says, good luck, I'll see you at 3 or 4 p.m. And whatever happens between drop off at 8 a.m. and pick up at 3 p.m. is none of the parents' business. He's saying that white parents are overstepping and they actually want some control over what happens with their kids from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. and everybody else doesn't. What he's saying is that black people, I'm gonna translate, if he really wanted to put a headline on his piece that was accurate of his, and reflective of his thoughts, what he's saying is, y'all know black people don't care about their kids. The only people at these school board meetings are white parents, and they want to influence what's taught at public schools. Black parents want no parts of this. They just want to hand their kids off. It's like a daycare system. You just hand your kids off, hope for the best, and come pick them up at the end of the day. And this is why I keep arguing that buying into this leftist, Marxist, liberal point of view, what you're buying into is white supremacy. They are the racists. And the peoples whose minds they're in control of are people like Juan Williams, who passes himself off as a black man with a Hispanic name. That's how Juan Williams self-describes. And so I, I wanna be careful here because if you don't listen carefully, if you don't listen accurately, you will think I have some sort of problem with mixed race people or light-skinned people, or uh, people with mixed racial identity. I don't. I have no problem with them. I have no problem with interracial dating, none of it. What I do have a problem with are people who fraudulently present themselves so that they can pitch or sell a poisonous message to black people. That's my problem with Colin Kaepernick. He's selling black kids poison. He's dressing it up in this black packaging and selling it to black people. It's like, this is really good for you. Colin Kaepernick is Eve in the garden, offering black people fruit from the poisonous tree. Juan Williams, the exact same thing. Juan Williams is an immigrant from Panama. 
he and his family immigrated from Panama uh, when Juan Williams was four years old. He grew up in a Spanish speaking home. He did not, he's not a homeboy from around the way. He's a homeboy from the barrio who got in at the Washington Post and built a media career posing as black. And that's why he calls himself a black guy with a Hispanic name. No, he's a Hispanic guy with a Hispanic name who grew up in a home where everybody spoke Spanish. Those are the facts. And he's on board with all this political nonsense and BS because that who is, that's who's elevated his career. Without the Democratic Party and their support and the support of liberals and leftists, Juan Williams would be nothing. He wouldn't be on TV. But they gave him a job of crafting arguments that portray any idea that disagrees with the Democratic Party as racist. And so, and you, people will look, look at me, look at me working with the Blaze, look at me on Fox News, <laughs> well, Jason, your job is to craft arguments that support conservatives or right-wing people. The difference is, if you judge my entire body of work, what I've said throughout my entire career, I just go wherever I think the truth is leading me. I've ripped everybody from Sarah Palin to Bill O'Reilly to Barack Obama. It doesn't matter. And if at some point I feel like people on the conservative side are telling lies so repulsive and are lying to black people in particular, and I, I, I gotta admit, as a black person, I'm concerned about black people. The most lies being told to black people are being told by people on the left. Because Juan Williams and his messaging on what's going on in Virginia in that political race and what's going on with parents, what the left is telling black people is, your kids belong to the government. You're not in control. And in every right-thinking, rational black person should agree and understand, you're not smart enough to raise your kids. You're not smart enough and responsible enough to decide what your kids are thought, what your kids are taught. White people, on the other hand, they have parental rights. And they are smart enough and responsible enough to decide what is taught to their kids. But we want to stop them. We want them to become just like you. Someone who hands their kids off. And if we decide to teach their fourth grader about masturbation, transgender issues, uh, homosexuality, if we decide to teach them that, you shut your mouth and don't say a word. It's our job. 
That's what Juan Williams is co-signing. That's the mentality that he wants you as black people to embrace. Hand your kids off to the government. Don't say a word. The government knows better than you. I completely reject that argument. Fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not a parent. I'm making this argument to the parents that I know, white or black. You must seize control of your kids. For 20, it's a 24 hour a day job and assignment. You do not hand them off to anybody and, and say, well, whatever you teach them is fine. Do you do that to a babysitter? Why the hell would you do it to a school just because the government says so? Juan Williams thinks virtually nothing of black people. Nothing. He thinks we're the lowest form of humanity. That's why he would write and craft an argument that parents standing up and saying, no, we want to decide what our kids are taught. He considers that white supremacy, not parental supremacy. It's white supremacy because only white people think that they should be the ultimate authority on what their kids are taught. Everybody else or because, again, we, you know, Asian, we know he ain't talking about them. We know he ain't talking about these tiger moms out here that are totally in control of their kids and what they're taught. He's talking about us, black people. He ain't one of us. He pretends to be. And you go, I, I look deep yesterday and today, deep all off into Juan, who he married, the whole nine yards. And when you go look at it, everything about Juan is distancing himself from black people while pretending to be closer to them. His messaging here is one of the most repulsive things I've ever heard come out of one of these leftist mouths, and they generally say a lot of things I completely disagree with. But this whole notion that parents say, and, 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 and so let, let's get to it because he's like, well, critical race theory is just trying to teach about racism and trying to teach the real history of America. And so if a white parent is saying, hold up, or any parent is saying, hold up, man, I live here in America. I don't want my kids taught that America is evil and irredeemably racist. I don't want my kids taught that white people have a certain privilege in this country that other people don't have. I don't blame them for saying, hey, man, I sent my kid here to be taught how to read, write, and do arithmetic. 
Telling them how to view the world is my job. You teach them that two plus two is four. You teach them where to put a comma, a semicolon, an exclamation point, a question mark at the beginning, middle, or end of a sentence. You teach them the words in the Declaration of Independence. I will teach them what to think about the Declaration of Independence. I will teach them what to believe about America and its history, not you. You're a crazy person. You're not me. You're not responsible for this child. I'm not going to let you poison their mind and, and create in them a guilty conscience or an inferiority complex. I don't blame any parent for standing up against that. And so Juan Williams's argument is, and this is what concerns me the most. His argument is, look at the stats. Look at 75% of black kids grow up in uh, unwed marriage situations. Fathers uninvolved, grandparents, aunties raising their kids. They're not parents. And so any parent that's at a school board meeting arguing that's a white person, that's a, that's a white person's privilege or white person's politics. You don't see black parents at these meetings, at these school boards, they're uninvolved. That's his argument. Juan Williams should be using his platform and standing up and telling black people, you better get it together and take your ass to these school board meetings and voice your opinion and tell those teachers and uh, assistant principals and principals what their actual job is. It's not to program children into a worldview that denigrates and tears down this country. I don't. We have to come out of this box of looking at everything through a racial lens and start looking at things through, am I a Christian? Am I a parent? What are my responsibilities? And so if you're a black parent, listen to this, and you have kids, you're a parent. That's what you, what should parents do? Not what should black parents do. Parents should all be doing the same thing, fighting for control of their kids, not handing them over to the government and a public school system that's failing and is radicalizing young people and driving division in this country. And on Wednesday, oh my goodness, MSNBC's has, uh, my guy Jason calls them, the Three Stooges and their election night coverage from the from the Virginia elections. I like to call them Ms. NBC. <laughs> you got to hear this. Last night, guess what I did? I watched MSNBC's election coverage. It was anchored by Rachel Maddow. 
Joy Reid and Nicole Wallace, people I call the Mo, Shikari, and Shirley of the Alphabet Mafia. The Three Stooges of Sexual Identity, Racial Identity, and Gender Identity presented a portrait of American reality far different from my interpretation. In their view, critical race theory doesn't exist and certainly isn't being taught in American schools. An investigation into Thomas Jefferson's worldview is a high priority. January 6th was a violent bloodbath that nearly toppled our republic. And Virginia's gubernatorial race was a referendum on reinstituting Jim Crow laws. The picture painted by Maddow, Reed, and Wallace likely explains why Republican governor, uh, Republican Glenn Youngkin won his race for governor and why he'll be joined in office by Republican Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears, the first black woman to win a statewide election in Virginia. It's difficult to retain and sustain power with lies. The political left and their propagandists in the corporate media have been lying nonstop for the past year. A wise con man conceals his lies with occasional truths. Politics attract con men, both left and right, moderate, conservatives, liberals, con men, all of them. That's what politics attracts. Problem for the left is big tech and its social media apps convince Democrats to be unwise, to abandon truth completely. Big Tech believes its Twitter and Facebook algorithms are in control of truth. Youngkin and Sears believe in a much higher power, a truth spelled out in the Bible and backed by the blood of Jesus. Listen to this sampling of their beliefs and what's driving them. Friends, I am pro-life. And I cannot believe where this governor has taken us. A child made in the image of God. And then we're gonna decide whether that child lives or dies. Folks, this is not the Virginia that we all know. And I will stand up for the unborn and you will stand with me because if we don't, I don't know who will. Friends, I believe that we are all formed in the image of our maker. And therefore, we are all equal. And anything that teaches division is not of him. And therefore, we will not teach critical race theory in schools. We will not. If you see grandmother with her head uh, under a sheet, because she would pull it over, that was her prayer tent. She was very instrumental in everything I did. My campaign is really based on the, the Psalm 133, verse 1. And what does that say? How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in peace and harmony. This is America. There's nowhere else to run to. And people run to America for liberty and freedom. Yeah, Democrats and their pundits will spend the coming days and months trying to figure out how the state of Virginia elected President Joe Biden by a 10-point margin and 12 months later elected Youngkin and Sears. They will, of course, blame racism, Donald Trump, the Proud Boys, Thomas Jefferson, and eventually they will shred Democratic candidate Terry McAuliffe as a horrible candidate. They will not admit that voters rejected their reliance on lies. 
they will not admit that Twitter and Facebook baited them into believing that lies supported on the social media matrix could be converted into real world truths. Not just comedian Dave Chappelle. Ordinary American citizens are snapping out of the woke coma induced by Twitter. Listen to Chappelle. When Sticks and Stones came out, a lot of people in the trans community were furious with me, and apparently they dragged me on Twitter. I don't give a because Twitter's not a real place. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Twitter's where the Three Stooges go to have their lies confirmed. On social media, you can earn likes and retweets pretending that January 6th was the modern-day Pearl Harbor. Yesterday, Nicole Wallace claimed police were maimed by flagpoles during an insurrection. Listen for yourself. I think we know the answer to some of this. I watched Glenn Youngkin's interviews on Fox News, and he did nothing that clarified. He did not. I mean, he worshipped at the altar of Donald Trump on Fox News. He flew an insurrection flag at his rallies. He simply didn't. He played dumb about a, 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 a Zoom rally. He did not really put much distance between himself and Donald Trump on the big lie or the deadly insurrection in which police officers were maimed by flagpoles. So I think that the, the real ominous thing is that critical race theory, which isn't real, turned the suburbs 15 points to the Trump insurrection endorsed Republican. What do Democrats do about that? <laughs> the deadly insurrection. The truth is a bunch of frustrated taxpayers at the behest of FBI informants staged a mostly peaceful protest inside the Capitol. An incompetent police officer shot and killed a tiny, non-threatening woman, Ashley Babbitt. In comparison to the riots, looting, and arson we witnessed across the country in the summer of St. George Floyd, January 6th was a 1950s-style sorority panty raid. On social media, you can gain you can garner likes and retweets, firing off tweets claiming that 2021 America is no different from 1921 America. Late last night, as it became an evident that Youngkin would win, Jamel Hill tweeted, it's not the messaging, folks. This country simply loves white supremacy. The tweet has 16,000 likes and nearly 5,000 retweets. Hill thinks she's tweeting hard truths to power. She's just running to Twitter to get her insanity and lies confirmed. I'm sure Joy Reid did the same thing after ranting on TV that Republicans are a danger to national security. I'm not kidding. Listen. They would have to be willing to say what you have said on your show. I think we've all said a version of it. You have to be willing to vocalize that these Republicans are dangerous, that this isn't a party that's just another political party that disagrees with us on tax policy, that at this point, they're dangerous. They're dangerous to our national security because stoking that kind of soft white nationalism eventually leads to the hardcore stuff. It leads to the January 6th stuff because if people are tolerant of it in your party, they're tolerant of the soft racism. Mm. It's a really short trip to get to the January 6th insurrectionist place. Although and we're fun. not. I would love to hear Joy Reid explain 
the soft racism that she peddles and did it play any role into what we saw all of the summer of 2020? When we saw buildings burn, when we saw policemen shot, when we saw stores looted, when we saw nonstop rioting across the entire country, all of it far more violent, devastating, destructive, worse than anything that happened on January the 6th. But somehow that's not a threat to national security, but Republicans are. Is Winsome Sears, Sears, is she a danger to America? She immigrated to America at six years old. She joined the Marines before she was an American citizen. She's Lieutenant Governor of the state of Virginia. She's black, so is her husband, and so are her kids. Are they all a danger? Does she sound dangerous here? Want to introduce to you my husband, Terrence. I'm telling you that what you are looking at is the American dream. The American dream. When my father came to this country, August 11th of 1963, he came at the height of the civil rights movement from Jamaica. He came and I said to him, but it was such a bad time for us, why did you come? And he said, because America was where the jobs and the opportunities were. And he only came with $1.75, took any job he could find and he put himself through school and started his American dream. And then, yes, and now he's comfortably retired. And then he came and got me when I was six years old. And when I stepped on that Pan Am Boeing 737 and landed at JFK, I landed in a new world. this. I am not even first generation American. When I joined the Marine Corps, I was still a Jamaican. But this country had done so much for me. I was willing, willing to die for this country. That's a threat to national security. Winsome Sears, Republican. Black woman, black husband, black kids. Threats to national security. The Three Stooges over at MSNBC argue that Republicans have constructed a fantasy world, an unfair political terrain that makes it difficult for Democrats to compete 
Republicans have constructed a fantasy world, but Joy Reid is arguing on TV after everything we've seen in the past two years that some people in moose hats and flags that went to the Capitol, and there's only one dead body at that alleged insurrection, and it was a white woman, tiny little woman, that was shot and killed by police. They're the threat to national security. You got buildings burning all across this country throughout all of 2020. You have policemen shot. We've had carjackings of American citizens. We, we've had all kinds of violence, looting, arson, in virtually every major city because St. George Floyd died. But Winsome Sears and Trump supporters that uh, went into the Capitol at the behest of FBI informants and about half the Capitol Police Force that let them in, they're the threat to national security. Who's living in a fantasy world? I mean, let's think this through. Take the race out of this. Quit looking at, thing, at everything through a racial lens or a political lens and just examine it through a truthful lens. Who has really been a threat to the security of this country? The facts are crystal clear. This isn't me caping up for Trump supporters or anybody. Just look at the facts. Just do the death toll. Do the damage toll. Billions of dollars of destruction over St. George Floyd and Jacob Blake. And damn, Congress was back to work within an hour of this alleged insurrection that threatened the sanctity of the United States of America. They were back working in that building. I guarantee you that damn Wendy's that they burned down over Rayshard Brooks, I wonder if it's back up and running right now. But within an hour, they were working at the Capitol and somehow it's, it's Pearl Harbor. Who created the fantasy world? Nicole Wallace argued that schools are not teaching critical race theory. She backed Terry McAuliffe's lie that the state of Virginia was not implementing critical race theory into schools. Yep. And what is happening in sort of Republican America, it's not just critical race theory. It's, it's saying, you know, fraud happened. The people believe there was fraud, so they're fixing it. So right. the Republican voters think Republicans are Never mind that it's fake. That's critical right. race theory isn't taught. It means something different to voters. They think it is. So Republicans are fixing it. Youngkin's going to ban it. And some of it is just a question for Democrats now. Do you adjust to a terrain that is not fair, that is not just, that is That's all right. fact-based, but that at this tonight looks like it advantages Republicans? Well, the way that you you, the way that you confront and defeat an, an opponent that has framed things in a way that is fake is that, yes, you can create your own competing fake framework and run on that, or you can accomplish real things and then run on that and say, yes, you, these guys have invented a boogeyman about a, a form of, 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 of racial hierarchy that you've fantasized into existence that isn't actually taught in schools. But look, you have a child tax credit and you have the biggest climate change 
legislation that's ever been passed in this country. And we have an infrastructure bill and all of the terrible traffic problems in Virginia are going to get fixed because Republicans are talking about fantasy stuff and Democrats are talking about real Who has done that? For those of you that have any faith in God, any, just a tiny bit, just ask yourself, these lies that are being told nationally, on TV, constantly, and you're buying into, an assault on the truth is an assault on God. When they get you living in this fantasy world of lies, They've taken you straight to hell. These women are sitting up on TV talking about they're not teaching critical race theory in schools. We've sat up and watched video after video of parents reading from the text it's being taught in these schools at school board meetings. They're quoting verbatim what their kids are being taught. We've heard from parent after parent, oh my God, they started having school on Zoom and I got to hear what the teachers were telling my kids. And it's straight critical race theory. These lies are just too easily debunked. While serving as governor in 2015, McCollum's Department of Education explicitly directed public schools to embrace critical race theory. On the Virginia Department of Education website, it recommends critical race theory. It, <laughs> I'm, I, I hate to say it because it, it's somewhat, <laughs> hypocritical and stupid for me to say this, but you can find these lies, you can figure these lies out just over, over Twitter. You ain't gotta be smart. Just punch it in, it's all, it's everywhere. There's a string of tweets from a guy, Christopher Rufo, that debunks all of it. The left, and those of you on board with the left, those of you that have thrown out every religious belief you've ever had to support the political left. You've moved into fantasy land. You've abandoned the truth. You now support lies like men are birthing people. Men can have babies. You support, Biden appointed some dude, Richard Levine, who changed his name to Rachel Levine, and allegedly Rachel Levine made history as the first female four-star admiral. This is La La Land. This is hell on earth. This is an assault on fundamental truths. Do you think God thinks Richard Levine is a man? And the first female four-star admiral? Do you honestly think this lie they've been telling for the last decade that the police are a bigger threat to young black men than gang violence? and that, oh my God, I can barely go out of my house. I can get hunted down by the police. 
Do you honestly believe that? Yes, it may win you a debate at work. Yes, it may make your boss feel sorry for you on your job and maybe guilt trip into giving you a raise or a promotion. But do you believe it? And all these little short-term victories and yeah, it feels good to tweet this out and in a text string I can say this and I can point to George Floyd or Jacob Blake and Eric Garner and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor. I can point to them and say, oh look, we're all under attack and the police are doing this. It's a lie and you know it. When you step out of your house, and if there's a policeman down at one end of the corner and the Crips and Bloods at the other end of the corner, you damn well know which direction you walking. Quit lying. It's satanic. George Floyd is a hero. Cut it out. Biological men should be allowed to compete against women in sports. Cut it out. The only way to survive COVID is with three masks, six vaccines, and in constant isolation. Cut it out. The world the Three Stooges believe exists is on Twitter. It's a satanic world where the truth is under constant attack. Virginia voters live in a different world, a world that answers to a higher power than Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg. And on Thursday's show, Young Ken's win in the Virginia elections shows the wickedness of big tech and Facebook and Twitter. Yesterday, I may have spent too much time and energy excoriating Rachel Maddow and her minions, Joy Reid and Nicole Wallace. The ridicule of MSNBC's Three Stooges distracted from my main takeaway from Tuesday's election results. Big Tech, its social media apps, its algorithms, its artificial intelligence, its endless supply of dopamine, its Northern California values. Big Tech is the real enemy of the people. Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg and Twitter's Jack Dorsey pull the puppet strings of the Three Stooges and everyone else making a living in corporate media. America's cultural collapse is a failure of men, a reflection of man's moral decay and weakness. The derision I unleashed at the NBC host is best directed at Zuckerberg and Dorsey, the immoral and weak men profiting from and sanctioning the assault on truth. Maddow, Reed, and Wallace do what Facebook and Twitter tell them to do. Lie, divide, and conquer. Our lawmakers, both Democrat and Republican, do what Facebook and Twitter pay them to do. Lie, divide, and conquer. Big Tech invites and rewards big lies. Big Tech is at the root of the division fracturing America. Big Tech is the BLM, LGBTQ, CRT, 
alphabet mafia's primary source of power. Big tech is emasculating men, dismantling belief in nuclear families, promoting the matriarchy, demonizing Judeo-Christian values, and demonizing the culture of Western civilization. Facebook, Twitter, and Google cast Donald Trump as Adolf Hitler and a Russian spy so that the American people would never see Zuckerberg and Dorsey as the publishers of, Prav of Pravda for the Biden regime. Tuesday, voters in Virginia recoiled from the big lies being sold by the left and their collaborators in Silicon Valley. Tuesday's election results, the victories by Glenn Youngkin and Winsome Sears in Virginia were a victory for truth, justice, and the American way. But there will be no spoils for that victory if we do not properly identify the lessons taught and the actions necessary to capitalize on the momentum created. My column yesterday focused too much attention on the puppets and not nearly enough on the puppet masters. I cluttered and distracted from my point with a humorous barrage on Maddow, Reed, and Wallace. Big tech has turned America into Babylon. Its seduction of corporate media has eviscerated truth. The absence of truth creates an absence of morality and persistent chaos. There's only one solution. Men must return to God. Glenn Youngkin wore his faith publicly. So did Winsome Sears. Listen for yourself. There's a there's a moment where we need to speak the truth. And and at this time, I think so many people are trying to divide us and uh, tell one group that they should be different than another. And it's time for us to come together. And I as I traveled around this great Commonwealth of Virginia that I feel so blessed to represent going forward, what I heard from from folks from all walks of life, no matter where they no matter where they are in life, is that they were tired of the divisiveness and it was time yes. for us to come together. If you can't identify the problem, then how can you come up with a solution? So we've got to stop this divisiveness. There's a psalm that I live by. I used it in my campaign, and it's Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in peace and harmony. That's what we want. God is the only one who can cut down the lies packaged and sold through the social media matrix. The wearing of his faith allowed Virginia voters to recognize the truth coming from Glenn Youngkin's mouth. This is the flaw of Donald Trump. He speaks the truth, but he clutters and distracts from the truths he espouses with an ungodly tone and presentation. I suffer the exact same problem. I curse too much. I delight in ridiculing and embarrassing my adversaries. I like to brawl. I enjoy verbal skirmishes. I wrestle in the mud with pigs and then wonder why people see me as one too. Youngkin and Sears don't have these problems. They fearlessly lead with love while standing firm on the principles taught in the Bible. Rational people can hear them. Women can hear them. Youngkin scored big with women voters. Women follow men who follow Jesus. 
That's the lesson from Virginia that corporate media will not tell you. Big Tech is leading an assault on the truth, which is an assault on God. The social media companies based in Northern California are imposing San Francisco values on America. As I explained in a previous column, San Francisco is a city that developed its culture during the California gold rush of the 1850s. Men left their families and descended on the Bay Area in search of gold and riches. At one point during the gold rush, San Francisco's population was more than 90% men. Cross-dressing and homosexuality took root in Northern California during the gold rush. You do not have to take my word for it. Do your own research. The information and history are easy to find. Much of it has been written by LGBTQ newspapers and outlets. Northern California has been defined by greed and immorality for 170 years. The gold rush was corrupt. The people who made the most money were the business owners who best exploited the miners hunting for gold. Nothing has really changed other than the region's ability to influence the rest of the country. Big Tech's social media apps have allowed San Francisco to replace New York as America's information and cultural hub. The entire Alphabet Mafia is rooted in the Bay Area, the launching pad of the Marxist-driven Black Panther Party and the LGBTQ movement. Northern California is the most secular region in America. Zuckerberg and Dorsey are its leaders. Facebook, Twitter, and Google reinforce the lies told by the corporate media outlets desperate for relevance on their platforms. Men can have babies. Marriage is for everyone. America is irredeemably racist and evil. Police randomly kill black men. Black people who promote self-reliance are sellouts in Uncle Tom's. Public schools should teach kids about gender identity, parental rights, their white supremacy. Those lies are told and supported and reinforced by Facebook, Twitter, and Google. Big tech is the big lie. They're the gatekeepers. They're the masters of the matrix. They're supporting all the lies that are promoting all the division and chaos in America. The solution is simple. We need more politicians, whether Democrat or Republican, to wear their Christian faith publicly. It's the only way to expose the lies and motivate voters. It's the only way to save this country. That's the lesson we should learn from Glenn Youngkin and Virginia. And on Friday's show, Aaron Rodgers drops a bombshell on the Pat McAfee show. And he just shows that the whole NFL and their whole COVID protocol is an absolute and complete shit show. I got to unpack a little bit of what Aaron Rodgers did today and then talk about it with Steve Kim. And I just, I can't, I don't know how long it's going to take. Aaron Rodgers said some incredible things. And I was just, I was watching it, writing down notes. Uh, 
One, <laughs> he called the NFL's protocol rules draconian. Uh, said the league's more interested in shaming its players, something I totally agree with. Uh, the league just wants to look better to the rest of the world. One of the great things I thought he said uh, to Pat McAfee, and like Aaron Rodgers had like a 15, 20 minute opening statement on McAfee's show, and he went straight to the point I've been going to with these young people. Aaron Rodgers said the next great chapter in his life is being a father. And he doesn't know how these vaccines are going to affect reproductive issues. And he's a little concerned about it. I totally 100 percent support that sentiment. That's why I've said over and over and over again, 50 year old fat people go get the vaccine. Those of you that got kids already and you're already past that hurdle, go get the vaccine. But asking these young people in the prime of their lives who still want to have kids to go out and take this experimental vaccine, no dice. No dice. I don't blame Aaron Rodgers. I salute Aaron Rodgers. He walked us through an explanation of how, look, I didn't lie to anybody. The league knew about the process I went through. He said that he's he has allergy issues as it relates to the two of the vaccines. The only one open to him was the Johnson and Johnson vaccine and the Johnson and Johnson vaccine at the time, particularly early during the summer, there were all kinds of issues and adverse effects and he was a little uncomfortable. He went through this long protocols and system of trying to immunize and, and trying to make sure he was healthy. said his teammates, everybody knew about it. Aaron Rodgers went ham, and I don't care who doesn't like Aaron Rodgers, I love him. I'm glad we finally have someone who matters, who has, I don't care that he's been forced to, but I'm glad we now have someone standing up that can articulate and argue this thing and be the voice for the other side. Aaron Rodgers said a couple things I, I, I didn't like. But they're almost irrelevant. I don't know. He took a little pot shot at Kyrie Irving early in his statement. <laughs> you know, I'm not anti-vax. I'm not a flat earther. He said, I don't, why you got to take a shot at Kyrie? Kyrie and you on the same team. Maybe he didn't even know he was taking a pot shot. And, and I really don't believe he did. But it just comes across like he was distancing himself from Kyrie Irving. He and Kyrie are on the same team. I'm on their team, even though I'm 50 and fat and those guys are young and in the prime of health, I'm on their team because they have a right to do what's best for them. Uh, Aaron, let, let's, before we go to Steve Kim, let's play a couple of the sound bites uh, from Aaron Rodgers earlier today with Pat McAfee, go, go, roll, roll the tape. First of all, I didn't lie in the initial press conference. Uh, during that time, it was a very, uh, you know, witch hunt uh, that was going on across the league where everybody in the media was so concerned about who was vaccinated and who wasn't and what that meant and who was being selfish and who would talk about it and what it meant if they said it's a personal decision. They should, shouldn't have to disclose their own uh, medical information or whatnot. And at the time, my plan was 
to say that I've been immunized. Uh, had there been a follow-up to my statement that I've been immunized, I would have responded uh, with this. I would have said, look, um, I'm not, uh, you know, some sort of anti-vax flat earther. Um, I, I am somebody who's a critical thinker. Uh, you guys know me. I marched to the beat of my own drum. I believe strongly in bodily autonomy and the ability to make choices for your body, not to have to acquiesce to some woke culture or crazed, you know, group of individuals who say you have to do something. Health is not a one size fits all for everybody. So on the CDC's own website, it says, should you have an allergy to any of the ingredients, you should not get one of the mRNA vaccines. So those two were out already. So my only option was Johnson and Johnson. At this time, in the early spring, I had heard of multiple people who had had adverse events around getting the J&J. Nothing that was no deaths or anything, but just some really difficult uh, times and physical uh, uh, abnormalities around uh, the J&J shot. And then in mid-April, the J&J shot got pulled for clotting issues, if you remember that, right? So the J&J shot was not even an option at that point. So then my options became, okay, what can I do to protect myself and my teammates? You know, my desire to immunize myself was what was best for my body. And that's why this is so important to me. Um, my medical team advised me that the danger I'd be in to get of an adverse event was greater than the risk of getting COVID and recovering. So I made a decision that was an investment of my body. I don't, you know, I mean, some of the rules to me are not based in science at all. They're based purely in trying to out and shame people, like needing to wear a mask uh, at a podium when every person in the room is vaccinated and wearing a mask makes no sense to me. If you got vaccinated to, you know, to protect yourself from a virus that I don't have as an unvaccinated individual, then why are you worried about anything that I can give you? Tom Brady, you're on the clock. Tom Brady needs to show a pair of balls and come out and make some statements supporting Aaron Rodgers. These other NFL players need to show a pair of balls and come out and support Aaron Rodgers. NBA players need to show some balls and come out and support Aaron Rodgers and Kyrie Irving. Everybody knows these guys are right. And again, that doesn't mean all of their thoughts are right, all of their positions are right, but they're right about one thing. They have a right to make a choice about what goes into their body. The NFL shouldn't be trying to shame them into it. The rest of us in America shouldn't be trying to shame them into it. They're young people. They're in great health. COVID's not gonna kill them. They have a right to do what's best for them. And Tom Brady and these other NFL players need to stand up and stand behind Aaron Rodgers. Put your little petty differences aside. Put your little, quit worrying about social media and do what's right. Show a pair, stand up and be a man. Care about you winning Super Bowls? Be a man, 
Tom Brady knows damn well he doesn't believe in these vaccines and doesn't think it should be forced on these young people. We want to God up. Oh, my God, he won seven Super Bowls or he won three NBA championships. Oh, my God, what courage. What? Oh, they're unbelievable. He stood over a putt and knocked it in. Oh, that's courageous. These guys got tiny balls or no balls. If you want to show some, stand up for Aaron Rodgers and Kyrie Irving. Don't leave America a hot mess for your kids, devoid of the kind of freedoms that all the other generations had. I realize Aaron Rodgers was forced into this. He didn't have any intention of being this guy, but he's here and he showed up like a man today and answered his critics and explained himself. He's not anti-vax. He just doesn't think it's for him. He thinks it's for fat 50 year old people like me. And he's right. Hey, listen, like I told you before, man, this is Uncle Jimmy. We want to thank you all for listening. Thank you all for following the show. Hey, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Tell a friend about this show, man, because we're trying to make a difference in the world today. Hey, go to YouTube.com. Jason Whitlock. Uh, what do we want to do with that? Hit hit the follow button or what? Yeah, hit the follow. Uh, come on, man. Be a part of something that's real. Uh, and as I said, man, thank you so much for following and listening. Hey, you shall be blessed.